Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean Cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 318. We've talked in past episodes about cruising during hurricane season, but this week's episode hits close to home because the impact of a hurricane directly affected my cruise plans. And on this episode, I'll be sharing my thoughts on what everyone needs to know about planning for a cruise during hurricane season. Here we go. As some of you are aware, I had plans to go on Royal Caribbean's Mariner the Seas for Labor Day weekend and enjoy a nice three-night sailing. Actually, my wife and I were going to go without the kids, get away for a long weekend, and enjoy a great cruise. It was going to be perfect because over Labor Day weekend, I was going to be able to uh, come back on that Monday and not have to worry about getting back in time for work, so we could have taken it easy, could have taken a nap after that always hectic last morning of the cruise, and it would have been a great sailing, I think, and we you know going to Perfect Day, Coco Key, ah, oh, we had such grand plans. And unfortunately, the realities of cruising during hurricane season reared their ugly head, and a lot of things happened, and I want to talk about this in this week's episode because I'm recording this in the days since everything happened uh, in terms of the forecasts, the actual hurricane, and the ultimate cancellation of our cruise, or my decision to cancel the cruise, I should say. And we'll get into all that, but I wanted to record this episode while it was all fresh in my mind, because this episode is, I'm really trying to frame this around advice and insight for anyone else who's looking to plan a cruise during hurricane season. And I hate to be one of those people that's like, oh, you shouldn't cruise in hurricane season, it's not a good idea, blah, blah, blah. No. I cruised during hurricane season many, many, many years. This is the first time it has directly affected me. I think maybe we had an itinerary change on some other sailing, but never to this point, never to the, obviously, I've never canceled a cruise or had to make the decision like this before. Uh, and there's a lot of things that were in play here. And ultimately, when you're deciding to cruise, whether it's during hurricane season or not, a lot of these factors are very personal and depends on a lot of different, uh, what, what's ultimately important to you. So... You know, first of all, when we talk about hurricane season, by the way, hurricane season starts June 1st, ends November 30th. That's a long amount of time. And that doesn't mean that there's a hurricane on June 1st and it goes all the way through November 30th. Far from it. In fact, this year in 2019, it had been a relatively quiet season up until Labor Day weekend. And, you know, there's a lot of lessons that I think I can look back on here. I'm going to give you the, this is almost like a Quentin Tarantino episode where I'm going to start at the end and then work my way back to the beginning. Uh, so... We were booked on Mariner the Seas for a three-night cruise, and ultimately we opted to cancel it. Royal Caribbean eventually uh, said, okay, we're going to actually extend the sailing. Went from a three-night to a five-night sailing, changed the itinerary completely. Uh, we were supposed to go to Nassau, Bahamas, and Perfect Day Coco Key. The cruise ended up going to Cozumel and Costa Maya. Went from three nights to five nights. And actually, as the recording of this podcast, has not returned yet to port, so it there may be a possibility of it's actually staying longer, but that that's for a different. That's kind of irrelevant to what we're talking about here. The bottom line is, um, Relcom gave us the option to go on the cruise, you know, and and everything went a bit no no additional cost. They were just going to elongate the sailing, uh, and you know, if you had a drink package, it would have been extended as well. Dining packages, boom, all that. But the uh, or we had the option to take all the money we paid, Royal Caribbean gave us, you know, the, the cost of the cruise, and we would have been able to use that towards a future cruise credit. And we took that future cruise credit. And the reason why we went that route was because, number one, there were two major reasons why we decided to cancel the sale. And trust me, I tried everything in my power to make it possible for us to go. Number one, at the time when Royal Caribbean gave us this option, when they made the itinerary change, 
at the time, the forecast for the storm was for a very powerful hurricane to come almost directly over where we live. So the concern for our well-being, our, our property, and the fact we weren't cruising with our children, you know, going on a cruise while our children stayed behind with my in-laws in the path of this giant storm that's going to go right over them, did not sit well. It was really not a viable scenario. So we couldn't, you know, if it was a tropical storm or a category one hurricane, where we live, all things being equal, it's not that big of a deal. But given that it was supposed to be a category, I don't remember at the time, three or four, it was just, it was too much to ignore. And number two was it the change was made so late in the game, Real Caribbean made that change, we did not have the opportunity to be able to add them because my next step was, okay, let's add the kids. Let's just escape. I don't even want to deal with this anymore. You know, let's bring the kids with us on the cruise and we'll enjoy sailing away from this whole storm and get away from it all, right? The issue was within, and the number really does vary. I've heard anywhere from 24 to 48 hours before you're sailing. Royal Caribbean submits the guest manifest to uh, some branch of the U.S. government. Uh, well, I'm not, Coast Guard or Customs, I'm not sure, somebody. And the, once they do that, the manifest is locked. You cannot, you cannot add people. You cannot change names. I know that my my travel agent, MEI Travel, tried extensively to make that change work, but you could not do anything there. We tried, we tried adding people to the. We had tried adding kids to the room. We tried. We actually had friends on the sailing who were definitely going to cancel their sailing. We wanted to just change names in their room, take over their reservation, and I would have paid them back individually. Wouldn't allow it. So. For those two major reasons, we decided to cancel. And trust me, guys, I was not happy about this. It did not sit well with me. It was like, I mean, yeah, I mean, canceling a cruise is never fun. But when you do it within 24 hours of sailing, I mean, you know that you you're going to get excited for that sailing prior to that. And it took it took. I was probably depressed for about a day or two, where it, just, it was like, ugh, you know, it was like you start playing that game of man. I should, you know, right now I should be doing this on the ship instead of being at home. So with all that being said, now that you know what happened, I want to go through and explain some of the situation, things you should be aware of if you're electing to go on a cruise. The first thing is, and it almost sounds obvious, but you need to be aware of what you're getting yourself into when you book a cruise during hurricane season. You know, there's a lot of people, surprisingly, actually, if you see comments on Twitter or Facebook, who actually are genuinely surprised that a hurricane occurred and impacted their sailing. In fact, there was one person in particular who actually was upset with Royal Caribbean for not for the cruise line not informing them, hey, by the way, this is hurricane season. I mean, look, that's obviously everyone listening, this is probably like rolling their eyes and like, you know, what a, what a, you know, what a silly comment to make. But I'm telling you this, if you're listening to this, you need to be aware this is a thing. Hurricane season is a thing. It is kind of the name. It, it's part of the deal, right? And cruising during hurricane season does not mean you're going to run into one. It doesn't also mean that if you cruise outside hurricane season, you're guaranteed perfect weather or no itinerary changes. Bad weather can happen throughout the year. The bottom line is, if you're cruising during hurricane season, you have to be okay with the idea that your, your itinerary may change, it may be shortened, extended, uh, just flipped, whatever, there's the possibility because hurricanes enter the picture. And again, you can have itinerary changes throughout the year. It occurs outside of hurricane season as well. But again, know what you're getting yourself into and what the deal is. I certainly did when I booked this cruise and I knew this was a possibility. I didn't think, oh, okay, I'm going to book this cruise and it's almost, it's definitely going to happen. I was certainly, you hope for the best. I think in, you know, most cases, it's not going to be an issue for you. But when it does occur, the first thing you as the guest should know is, yeah, this was part of the deal and you knew the 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 
the possibilities here. And of course, cruising in September, as an example here, is uh, usually a lot cheaper than cruising other times of the year. Also, when it comes to hurricane season, I know I mentioned June 1st through November 30th, the height of hurricane season is really late August through October. That's the And the peak is somewhere between the end of September and the beginning of October. So that's, you know, there's, you know, if you're cruising during, you know, July as an example, or November, less of a chance of you running into a storm. But again, it could always happen. So there's number one. Now, number two, we actually did an episode recently about this, but I need to talk about again, travel insurance. And like all insurance, having travel insurance is great to have it when you need it. And I have travel insurance. And you know what? Didn't help me one bit. I need to explain why, because this is a very important distinction that a lot of people don't understand. Number one, there were a lot of people without travel insurance. And this came up a lot in the frustrations that a lot of people uh, you know, shared on Facebook, where you could clearly see people were at the mercy of Royal Caribbean because they had these travel plans in place, clearly had no travel insurance as backup, and you know, they, they were clearly a little frustrated with it, but that's on them ultimately for not, you know, going there. I mean, that's a, that's a gamble they made. And I certainly understood. And I was willing to actually walk away from the selling of needy, but that didn't come to that point. The, the thing that's really important to understand, even if you have travel insurance, unless it's canceled for any reason insurance, nearly all travel insurance plans do not kick in until Royal Caribbean actually cancels the sailing. So, what that means is if you book your airfare, your rental car, your hotel, all those things that, you know, obviously are, are extra costs, right? If Royal Caribbean is saying, hey, look, we're going to go on the sailing anyway, but it's a two-night sailing. It's been shortened. It's been changed. It's who knows what. You Your travel insurance will not kick in to cover those other expenses unless Royal Caribbean actually cancels it. And the interesting anecdote to this is let's say Royal Caribbean does what they did in my situation. They say, okay, well, uh, sir or madam. We're going to still have the sailing, but we're going to sell. We're going to offer you the option of giving you a hundred percent money back to do something else, whether it's it's money back as a refund or through a future cruise credit. But we're not canceling the sailing. We're just giving you the option to back out. Now that sounds it is a good deal, by the way. They don't have to do that by any means. But the bottom line is, when they do that it doesn't actually kick in your travel insurance because they haven't canceled the sailing. You still have the option of going. And if you call your travel insurance, they will almost certainly say, well, is, the, is your trip canceled? No, it's still happening. Then they won't go for it. The only exception to this, obviously, I should say the only, I'm sure there's other ones, but the most, the, the, the counter to this, if you want to cover yourself in the situation, is cancel for any reason. There are travel insurance plans that have canceled for any reason, which could be, quite frankly, you decide you don't want to go anymore or something, a scenario more closely related to what I went through. Usually, cancel for any reason insurance will give you back 75% of what you paid. So you're still going to owe some money or you're not going to get all their money back, but it's better than nothing. And in cases of folks who are flying down, I live in Florida, so I was lucky I had to drive, you know, 60 miles in order to get to my port. So I had no, I had no travel, I had no airfare to worry about. I had no hotel to worry about. I did have a rental car actually, which I rented the day before returned. That was 50 bucks and it I mean, that was, what was I going to do about the fight over $50? But that was money I had to pay out of pocket for that, right? But, you know, obviously if you're flying down, I, I think it, it almost behooves you to get this and cancel any reason because people who, there were a lot of people who were flying down for this and again, their travel insurance would not kick in unless they had canceled for any reason policy. So something to keep in mind, I'm not telling you you should always get travel insurance. I'm not saying you should always get travel insurance to cancel any reason because more than likely you're paying for something you're not going to need. But I want to make it clear on 
a scenario like this, which by the way, was pretty much standard across the board. Royal Caribbean did not cancel uh, any, not yet anyway. I mean, things could change here, but <laughs> as they're recording this podcast, Royal Caribbean did not cancel any sailings. They changed a lot of itineraries. There were about over a dozen changed with options to, you know, take your money and use it at a future sailing, but the actual sailing itself did not cancel. So that's important thing. Uh, the next thing I really want to talk about is you, and this is, it almost, again, sounds obvious, but you got to remember that you nor anybody has any control over the weather. Ultimately, this is not Royal Caribbean's fault. And I've said this on numerous occasions, hurricanes and storms of this magnitude, this is a no-win situation for Royal Caribbean. Because if they cancel the sailing, well, there'll be people who are upset because their vacation has been canceled, regardless of the fact there's a giant storm out there. If they go ahead with the sailing, there are people upset because maybe a situation like I talked about earlier, you know, there's the storm there. They're worried about the, the impact to the sailing. They're worried about getting down there. A variety of other logistical things that are out there. Bottom line is, you know, no matter what Royal Caribbean does, someone's going to be upset about it. But you have to remember, no one has control over the weather. There is no way to accurately predict that something is going to affect your sailing or not affect your sailing. And the path of the storm, again, nobody has control over that as well. And going into this, as we started seeing the storm being, I remember the storm first appearing, you know, as, as, a, as a tropical depression and the path started appearing and it looked like, well, this is going to get in the way. This potentially has an impact on us. And as it became closer and closer and closer and clearer and clearer that there was going to be an impact, you know, it it was one of those things you have to just say to yourself, okay, this is not, there is absolutely nothing you, I, or anybody can do to change this. I mean, the only thing you could have done, quite frankly, is either go back in time and book a different sailing, which obviously you can't do, not until someone invites, invents a time machine, I should say. But, and also, even if you see this a week ahead of time, right, which I did, you know, I saw, well, this is going to definitely impact our sailing. What are you going to do? I mean, I, I mean, you, you know, a week before your sailing, you can't cancel your sailing. I mean, you can do the cancel for any reason, travel insurance policy at that point. I would advise you that a week ahead of time is probably still a mistake because, you know, you don't know what the path of the storm is ultimately going to do. So it, it, it's a weird situation because you feel like you should be doing something or somebody should be able to do something about it, but you really can't. So always keep that in mind. Now, the, talking about frustration, this is, a, a, I think, ultimately what a lot of this is based around. And I'm trying to share as much of this as I can with all of you, because I think it's going to provide all of you a uh, some insight into what to expect when it comes to uh, an experience similar to this. And I hope that, again, maybe if you run into a situation where you're, you know, four or seven days before you're sailing and there's a hurricane in there and it's going to maybe affect you, you could bring this episode back up and re-listen to it because I hope these words will give you some comfort or so or some direction that at least you're not like, this isn't like you're the only person to ever go through this. Now, by far the most frustrating part is the uh, days leading up to your cruise in which you know there's a decision coming. Royal Caribbean actually, in probably a couple days before the sailing, would start sending emails saying, hey, look, we're looking at this. I remember very early on, Royal Caribbean decided to cancel the visit to, to Perfect Day Coco Key, which made total sense. I mean, the storm was supposed to go through the Bahamas. I don't think anybody thought that was weird or odd. It, it certainly made a mistake. But ultimately, you know, updates are kind of random and maybe not that often. So patience is really a virtue when it comes to it. And I think Royal Caribbean decided they gave us the option to, again, cancel and get our money back to be able to use towards the future sailing or go on with the sailing with the extended sailing. That all came down probably about, I don't know, 24 to uh, to 36 hours before the actual 
uh, sale date, right? It came down like a day or two before then. So it didn't give you a lot of time to really move around. And that in before that point, probably 24 to 48 hours before that, there were a lot of people clamoring for a decision. And it's hard to do because this is what Royal Caribbean is saying. They're like, look, ultimately, they want to have the sailing go as scheduled. So they're going to wait until they have a, the best possible picture on making a call, which could disrupt people's uh, vacations and, of course, their own schedule, right? They want the sailing to occur. And when it comes to predicting hurricanes, the closer the storm is, the more accurate the prediction model can be. When you're talking more than, let's say, 48 hours away from a storm, the models will be all over the place. So it makes for prediction very difficult. And the situation of this particular hurricane, I know the model was all over the place. And I could see why they were waiting to the last minute. You can't look at the path of a storm that is three, four, five, or even more days away and have a really accurate picture. Because again, if they say, okay, we're going to completely change up the schedule, mess up a bunch of people's vacation plans, and you know, a couple, let's say four or five days out, and then the storm changes paths and now the original itinerary is, is more viable or something else is more viable, you know, they're in a really tough spot. They can't undo that, right? So it's a double-edged sword. You want to go on your cruise, but they also have to make a decision. And this is where, again, you need to have patience in there. And I was lucky because I wasn't flying down. There were some people who definitely flew down to Florida in the days before the cruise, not knowing if they were going on their sailing or whatnot. I mean, there was a lot of people who honestly had a fear that they would be flying down to Florida, get here, and then very soon thereafter be informed, oh, your sailing is canceled or whatnot. That did not happen in this situation. Uh, inevitably, there were people who came down and got you know different sailings than they originally intended. But the bottom line is you should understand that updates, especially when you get close to the sailing, are going to be somewhat random. I mean, Royal Caribbean was trying to put out updates every couple of hours. In a lot of cases, the updates were just... There is no update, but we're still here to tell you that we're still looking at it, which, you know, people were frustrated at that, but I was like, well, it's better than no update. Yeah, I think the worst thing is just sitting there in a vacuum of information in which you don't know what's going on. They were constantly looking at it, but it just led to frustration. People were upset because they just wanted to know about their vacation. They wanted to know the answer, right? And it's one of those things, again, you need to have patience. And number two is there's a lot of factors involved with it. So it's not as easy as people think. People look at, you know, it's very easy to sit there, look at the prediction model from the National Hurricane Center that's, you know, four or five days out and be like, oh, well, clearly the storm is going here. Thus, our itinerary should change to this. It's not that simple. And also, you know, the the when you talk about changing ports, by the way, changing ports is not like picking a different parking spot in the Target parking lot. It is, there's a lot of logistics to it. There's costs associated with it. And also there's limited spaces. You can't just be like, hey, you know what? We're going to go to Cozumel instead. It's not like there's a ton of space over there necessarily. I mean, there could be other ships already scheduled to be there. There's fuel. There's, they have to make it back in time for certain things. So again, there's lots of considerations in there. And I know this part in the days leading up to the sailing, probably in the last two to three days, were probably the most contentious point for a lot of people who just clearly were upset because they want to go on their vacation. I know that I was upset. I wanted to go. I didn't think we were. I thought we were definitely going to go. It was a question of where we were going to go. And then, of course, if it would be any, like, would we get an extended sailing or not? And I think the, you know, every situation is going to be different. I can't tell you definitively, okay, here's what I ran into. Thus, it'll be an example of what you should expect. But you should expect changes. You should expect, uh, you know, updates. But, you know, if you're sitting at home and you're, you know, I have to go to the airport here and I still haven't heard back on the change yet, 
ultimately it is what it is. They're trying to figure out what is it really, what's Storm really going to do so we can plan around that. And it's going to be a kind of a, you know, closer to your sailing that you might ordinarily like, but it is, that that's just the nature of the beast. And I do recall actually during Hurricane Harvey reporting on RailCoreanBlog.com about a similar situation with Liberty of the Seas out of Galveston where they really did have to wait till the last minute to kind of figure it out because, again... Number one, you don't want to go into the path of the storm. That's that's always important. They want to go away from the storm. And number two, they want to make sure they're going in a manner that's going to disrupt the least amount of the schedule. Because, of course, if you're on the subsequent sailings after that, you don't want your sailing to be you know shortened or changed or anything like that. So th- there, there's uh, there's an important factor there. The next thing also, um, calling Royal Caribbean for information um, or updates or to make a change is likely going to result in long wait times. You know, the... Calling Royal Caribbean in general is something I try to avoid at all costs because it's part of the, I think, one of the best reasons to use a travel agent, a good travel agent, to have them deal with it. I just, sitting on hold is not my my jam and giving my information, eh, ain't nobody got time for that. But when you have people, you know, the regular load to the phone trees, you know, in the beginning, you know, on any given day, then you add all the people who are basically just calling and saying, hi, what's up with my sailing? Hi, what's up with my sailing? You know, people asking the same information. It led to really long wait times, like 20 minutes or more, right? Um, my advice for this is, number one, if you have to call, limit it to when you really need to call. Don't call for updates. Every Royal Caribbean actually was very good about posting information online on its website. I certainly conveyed that at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. But via emails, text messages, information was being disseminated. And calling wouldn't really get you a whole lot more. And there are a lot of people who are just, you know, people I think feel like they're frustrated and they want to call and yell at somebody, which doesn't really do anybody any good. So avoid that. But, you know, call only when you want to make a change, not for updates or information, because like I said, information will get sent out to you. But the other tip, and this is something I, I know I sound like a broken record about this, but it's really important. Use a good travel agent. I never had to call Royal Caribbean once, even to cancel. My travel agent took care of everything, saved me a ton of time. This is like a classic example of when using a good travel agent is so imperative because a good travel agent will be there for you. It's, it's like going to court, right? The, it's like my lawyer went to court for me and then they called me back and be like, hey, good news, we won. You know, something like that. Like they just saved me so much time sitting on hold. Going through the, I didn't have to deal with any of that. So, again, not all travel agents are the same, but a good one will definitely take the burden off of you when it comes to, you know, we tried, I, I mean, my travel agent tried a number of times to try to get my kids on the sailing. And we, there were, I, I know of, and there may be more than this, but I know of at least four or five calls that my travel agent made on my behalf to save us time um, and, you know, to make changes or whatnot. And, I'm sure there were more. So again, a good travel agent. And when you are going to call, just keep in mind, there's going to be long wait times. And the last tidbit about this whole thing is ultimately deciding to cancel. And I got this question from a lot of people who were like, hey, Matt, you know, should I cancel my sailing? Here's my situation. And I ran into this exact scenario with my, with my schedule, right? And basically, in our, and just to recap, Royal Caribbean said to us, you know, we're going to extend your sailing. It's going to be this new schedule here, you know. And, and deciding to cancel really, you weigh a couple different considerations. You have to look at your schedule. Obviously, coming back on two days later meant I would have to work from the ship at some point. Uh, some people, I know our friends I mentioned earlier, they canceled because they needed to get back on, on the original day. The next day would not be plausible for them because they had work obligations they needed to make. So, you know, when do you absolutely need to get back? Obviously, if you're retired or uh, or your schedule is flexible, hey, 
good news, you probably can take that extra couple days there. Also, itinerary changes. I mean, look, sometimes you may not want to go where the ship is taking you now. That's a consideration as well. And also, I told other people, you know, when it comes to the decision, you know, for me, I live in Florida. I can go on another cruise, you know, and I will be going on a couple more cruises this year. In fact, I actually have another cruise three weeks to the day from where we were supposed to go on this canceled sailing. So obviously, don't cry for me, Argentina, right? It's not that big of a deal. But if this were your one cruise vacation of the year, if this was your, this is the thing you've been looking forward to, and it has been compromised in some way that is not uh, to your liking, I would tell you to, to take the future cruise credit and go on and then pick a sailing that's going to be more agreeable to you because I would hate to compromise on that vacation for you, especially if you're flying down, especially if there's, you know, uh, you know, you really had your heart set on a particular port or I don't know if they shortened it in any way. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a personal decision to cancel. There is not one answer for everybody, but you need to take these things into consideration. And almost, I really, I almost got to the point I did in my mind, but writing it on paper, put a, a, a line down the middle of the paper, right? The benefits of going on the cruise, the negatives, and then really look at them. So, okay, which one's more important to you and, you know, decide to cancel them. We decided because of our kids, ultimately we were not going to leave our kids uh, in, at home, even though we were, my laws would have been, you know, perfectly fine, uh, you know, perfectly good to take care of them. But it was, it was, that's too much to ask, you know? And, and I think we would have felt like awful parents. The, the, you know, once the hurricane was forecasted to be a category two or three, it started to get like, okay, this is not good. Right. And the idea of my wife and I sitting on a cruise ship safe somewhere, you know, away from the storm and enjoying pina coladas while we would just be worried about the kids the whole time, even, you know, it, it would just be, I know we wouldn't be able to fully let go. That's why I try to get my kids with me. Now, once my kids are with me, okay, that's a whole different story. I don't mind, you know, case or sera, sera in that situation when it comes to everything else at home. But this was, you know, a situation for us. Actually, to be perfectly fair, my wife actually offered me at the very end, she saw I was very depressed about this. She said, you can go by yourself. And I said, I am not leaving you home, my wife and kids home in a category four hurricane while I go on a cruise. That is like worst husband of the year. So I appreciate that that gesture, but uh, we ultimately decided to cancel. And you know what? It, it's like I said, it took me about a day or two to get over it. And now I've made my peace with it. And it is what it is. I mean, you know, and we'll have another selling we're able to go on. I'm hoping to reschedule it for perhaps later this year. I'm not exactly sure when that'll happen, but you know, it stinks. Nobody wants their, their cruise vacation to be altered, changed, or canceled. But I hope that the these this kind of feedback from my experience will help somebody who's going with through a similar experience in the future, whether it is next month or next year or five years from now. When it comes to hurricanes and planning around them, it's it's a very dicey situation. There's not a whole lot of answers out there, but I think ultimately you need to be patient. You need to understand what you're getting yourself into and be as proactive as you can ahead of time, whether that is travel insurance, whether that is having logistical options available to you, or simply knowing that canceling is not, while not the fun thing to do, is the responsible thing to do, and there will always be more cruise vacations to enjoy after that. All right, time to answer your listener emails. This is the part of the episode where I go into our in email inbox 
and answer as many questions as I can. Our first one today is from Ian, who writes, My wife and I are a couple of Brits, and we're taking our first cruise in just under three weeks, sailing on Oasis of the Seas out of Barcelona. I've been avidly researching the world of cruising in preparation for the trip, and RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com is my go-to staple for really useful information delivered in a fun and engaging style. You also kindly answered my recent email question in episode 313. Thanks so much. Your passion for cruising is evident and is certainly rubbing off on me having refused to cruise for years due to the hangups that have now been dispelled largely due to your blogs and podcasts. I can't. I now can't wait to break in my sea legs. Also, I have even also paid the deposit for a second cruise again on Oasis in May 2020. Thanks for all that you do. Ian, I am so glad to hear that we've been able to help you out there and I hope you have an awesome awesome time. Next, we have an email from Jeff who writes, just listen to episode 313. You mentioned you were taking a cruise out of Boston to Canada. Presumably, this will stop in New Brunswick, St. John and Nova Scotia, Halifax. I currently live in New Brunswick and have lived in Halifax for nine years. In general, St. John, the city is a bit of a dive, not really worth seeing the city itself. My guess is the options include whale watching down near St. Andrews or maybe Fundy Hopewell Rocks, which would require a bus transfer, but would be much better than the city, in my opinion. Halifax is the opposite. This is an awesome city with a great waterfront, restaurants, and lots of history right in the city. Kids would love Citadel Hill. It's kind of our version of Boston. Lots of tour options in the city. Probably the most popular tourist areas uh, is Peggy's Cove. It's an amazing photo op, but other than that, not that interesting. If you wanted a really cool experience, try to find a way to get to Duncan's Cove Hiking Trail. Beautiful oceanside hiking with pillboxes from World War II and Seal Rock, which last time I was there had 20 to 30 seals on it just offshore, but within sight. This is really a local's favorite. It might be hard to find a cabbie who knows where it is. It's about 30 minutes outside the city, but still within the city limits. But if you schmooze a local, it's the best hiking option. Jeff, thanks so much for the email. I love the personalized recommendations. That's really, really helpful there. I can't wait to go on this sailing. This is uh, one of our Royal Cream blog group cruises coming up for October 2020. If you want more information about how you can join us for it, because you can come cruise with me to New England and Canada on Brilliance of the Seas out of Boston in October of 2020, uh, check out uh, royalcreamblog.com slash events. Next, we have an email from Gene from Houston, Texas. Hi, Matt. Love your podcast. And in Matt's style, we just YOLO booked a cruise on Navigator for me, my husband, and our three teens, plus my sister, her husband, and their two teens. I cannot wait to get back on a cruise. I have a question about the food on Navigator, and I thought, I better go to the expert. So here I am asking about food on a Royal Caribbean ship. We were on Navigator back before she was amplified. We have since been on Liberty. This is my teens loved Sorrento's, naturally. But they were slightly bummed when we found the promenade only has cafe promenade on Navigator. Is the pizza the same pizza? I know this seems silly, but this is one of our kids' favorite hangout spots. They eat there every day. They said, Mom, is there going to be same the same pizza or not? I would assume so, but figured if anyone would know, it's you. Thanks to the awesome podcast. I look forward to send, sending your review, our review to you after we set sail. We're also taking my sister and her family, and they have mainly sailed Carnival, so I think they're in for some fun. This will be their first Royal Caribbean cruise. Gene, thanks so much for the email, and I got good news for your boys. There is still Sorrentos on board. So, on on Oasis class ships or Quantum class ships or Freedom class ships, Sorrentos is its own location. There's Sorrentos and there's Cafe Promenade. But on Voyager class ships, Cafe Promenade and Sorrentos are just built together. So it says on the deck plans, Cafe Promenade, but they still serve Sorrento's Pizza over there, Gene. There's just not a dedicated venue for it, if that makes sense. So absolutely no worries at all. Your kids can still eat an ungodly amount of pizza on their cruise. And I'm not passing judgment, by the way, because when I'm on board that ship or any ship that has Sorrento's, I am eating an ungodly amount of pizza on there. It's always a, uh, it's always one of the decisions you make 
and then you 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 get off the ship and you're like, oh, what was I thinking? And then you get back on the ship again, you're like, man, now I know what I was thinking. It smelled so good. Next, we have an email from Brian from Michigan. We booked a cruise over New Year's Eve on the soon-to-be-refurbished Oasis of the Seas. They've just released their special New Year's Eve holiday dining menus for Chops, Giovanni's, and 150 Central Park. And I recall reading something about a special for a fee activities that can be reserved on the Royal Promenade for the Midnight Countdown. For example, reserved seating or tables. Are you aware of any other for a fee activities that Royal Caribbean does for the New Year's Eve parties? Do you know if these are bookable in advance or only on board? Any suggestions on what to do or just as important what to avoid are greatly appreciated. Brian. Thanks for the email. So there are different events. As I recall, Brian, you're right. Um, the one that always stands on my mind is the Rising Tide Bar in the Promenade would be a reserved area. These are basically, Royal Caribbean basically carves out little spots. So that way you're not competing with everybody. You have a reserved area and you can be able to, for, for an extra cost, be able to enjoy the festivities because the Royal Promenade is probably the hub of those activities. It's an optional thing you can do. You don't have to do it. You'll still have a great time without it. And there will be, on Oasis of the Seas, you should expect a lot of different parties in a lot of different venues. Now, Brian, I can't I can't recall offhand because I haven't done one personally, especially not on that ship, where I can say, okay, here's all the activities that are there. My recommendation for you, Brian, is I think we do have some New Year's Eve cruise compasses at royalcaribbeanblog.com. So look over there. They're in, by default, when you go to the Cruise Compass Archive, which is at our main menu, there is, uh, they the Cruise Compass is going descending uh, chronological order, so just go down until you find December 31st, around December 31st, and you'll find a bunch of them in there. And in there, you'll find a lot of information. I feel like, I could be wrong, Brian, but I feel like these options for special areas or reserved seating or what have you are usually available once on board the ship. I don't recall them being available on before the cruise, These, the exception being those special holiday dining options, which basically just means they're going to charge you more for it because it's a holiday. I've seen that during Thanksgiving as well. It is what it is. Um, but yeah, uh, you should check the cruise compass. I mean, our cruise planner, sorry, on Royal Caribbean's website in the uh, weeks leading up to your cruise. But I would almost certainly plan, and I'm doing the same thing, Brian, because I'll be on Freedom of the Seas for New Year's Eve. I'm planning on if those things appear, they'll probably be on board the ship. So uh, maybe save some onboard credit for that just in case. Thank you for the email, Brian. Moving on, we have our next email, and it is from Rick. And Rick wants to know, wondering if the cabanas at Perfect Day at Coco Key ever go on sale. They do, Rick, yes. You know, the pricing for the cabanas and a lot of the Perfect Day at Coco Key activities has been all over the place, Rick. There's been a lot of price changes, uh, but they do, like all cruise planner sales that occur every couple of weeks, the... Whether or not it applies to your sailing will vary, but I, yes, I have seen discount prices, relatively speaking, to there. And again, I say relatively speaking because, of course, one person may see a discount on their sailing, one person may not, and the pricing in general is all over the place in terms of who gets a discount or not. So, yeah, you just got to keep on on checking back there. My advice, and just like the drink package and anything you want to pre-purchase, if you know you want a cabana, buy it now, Rick. Lock in the price. If there's a price change tomorrow, next week, next month, you can always cancel and rebook with no penalty. So keep that in mind. But, and the reason why I'm telling you to do that is because if the price goes up, which by the way, a lot of the Perfect Day Coke Key activities tend to do this, you wanna book it now because that'll guard against that. And that's not just limited to cabanas. The water park admission, uh, the zip line, any of the activities, guys, if you're going to Perfect Day Coke Key, book it now. Book those activities now because the prices have been going up and up and up. So by booking it now, you can lock in the price, especially if you know you wanna do it. You can always cancel if you change your mind. 
Um, but anyway, the point is it'll guard against a price increase. Next, we have an email from Doug from Virginia, writes, I'm writing a response to a listener question for episode 313 on the subject of currency available on board during European cruises. I sailed on Oasis of the Seas in June 2019 from Barcelona. When I needed cash in euros to pay for the guided tour in Rome, I found that at least one of the ATMs on the Royal Promenade did dispense cash in euros. However, use caution. My card didn't work in the first ATM, so I tried another one, not realizing that the second ATM dispensed American dollars. And then I had to go to guest services where they exchanged the dollars for euros. Not only did this waste time, but I also got bitten by the unfavorable exchange rates twice, once at the ATM and then again at guest services. My advice is to bring euros with you from your hometown bank if you know you'll need cash. If you do decide to use the ATM on the ship, read the signs and the messages carefully to make sure you're getting the currency you want. Doug, I appreciate you sharing your experience with us because unfortunately that didn't work out for you in this situation, but like kind of earlier in this episode where I'm sharing my experiences and my the, the pitfalls to avoid, it sounds like I think we can all learn that. I, I learned something from there, so thank you for sharing that. Next, we have an email from Brent, who writes, I just recently started listening to your podcast. I think that they are fantastic. Thanks a lot for the information that you share. My wife and I recently booked a cruise to set sail on May 2020 on Harmony of the Sea, celebrating our five-year wedding anniversary. I have a couple of questions that I'm hoping you can help me out with. First, uh, the ship is set to set sail at a Port Canaveral, and we're flying into Orlando the night before. In previous podcasts, you suggested to use Lyft or Uber to travel to or from the airport to the port. However, in doing a little of my own research, I came across a website called goport.com, which offers shuttle service from the airport to hotel and hotel to port, and then back to the port, uh, port back to the airport with a hotel stay the night before the cruise included all for one price. I found the price to be pretty reasonable when comparing prices to other hotels and Uber rides to and from everywhere. Have you heard of the service before? Any input advice? So Brent, I have not heard of that service in general. I'm sure it's fine, but here's what I'm telling you. The reason why I still wouldn't do that is because with all shuttle services, you're at the mercy of the shuttle service. More than, and again, I haven't used them, so I have no idea, but I'm guessing and I'm betting, and if you call them, I'm sure they're gonna tell you this, they have scheduled times they go. You know, there's like the, there's maybe it's every hour, maybe it's every half an hour, maybe it's every 10 minutes, but the bottom line is they are going on their own schedule, and so you have to wait. You have to wait to get for the, for the shuttle to pick you up it's not like a taxi where they're coming right to you. Maybe they're doing other stops in the meantime. There's a lot of sitting around and waiting for the shuttle. This is going to occur probably in every step of the phase. Personally, I'm not worried. I'm not willing to do that. I would rather pay more for a Lyft or Uber, relatively speaking more. Not, I don't think it's quite that much and be able to go on my own schedule rather than sitting around waiting for a shuttle. Um, this is why I don't recommend hotel shuttles, why I don't recommend shuttle services like this, because ultimately you're sitting around waiting and the worst time to sit around and wait is the last morning of your cruise. You just got off the ship, you're tired, depressed the cruise is over, and you just wanna get home, and you're sitting around at the port waiting for a, a shuttle. Meanwhile, all these taxi cabs are going by. So, with that being said, I wouldn't go there, but that's my personal preference. And there's no doubt you'll probably save a lot of money by doing it this way, just not my style. Uh, Brad's second question is, we plan on getting the drink package for both of us, and I know I've heard it's best to book the package as soon as possible. However, I also heard the price drops pretty significantly on the cruise planner on Black Friday. In your experience, do you find this to be true? I'd rather not buy the package right now if the price will drop on Black Friday. Thanks again for what you do. Helps out a ton. Uh, Brent, I'll defer you to what I just said earlier. It could drop on Black Friday, it may not. Um, I think the Black Friday uh, cult <laughs> that has developed, people would say that's the best deals. It doesn't matter. Even if it does, Brent, if you book it today, 
and it drops next week, next month on Black Friday. You can cancel and rebook immediately on Royal Caribbean's Cruise Planner website. That's why I love it so much, Brent, because you book it now, you lock in the price. If you get to Black Friday and there is a better deal, you go to the Cruise Planner website, click on order history, find the thing there, cancel it, it's immediate. Then you go back and buy the drink package and you're good to go. And again, the reason why you don't wait to Black Friday to book it initially is because the price could go up between now and then or and or the discount may not be that lucrative. So, you know, you got nothing to lose by booking it now, everything to gain by waiting, by booking it now and then seeing what happens uh, with that price and taking advantage of any price drops. So there's no, there's no penalty for booking it early. The only penalty, if you want to call it that, is to lay out the money now, right? Uh, but I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it, it helps budget the cruise a whole lot easier. It's better to have small little payments rather than just a giant payment at the end of the cruise. So in my opinion, Brent, book it now if you know you want to get it and then keep checking back uh, periodically and on Black Friday as well. And maybe you'll get a better deal then. Cancel, rebook, you're good to go. All right, we have time for one more email, guys. And that is me coming to us from Jason Peterson from Orlando, Florida. Hi, Matt. First of all, I want to thank you for the helpful information you provide. It was really helpful for my recent three-night Mariner of the Seas cruise. My wife and I went for our 18th anniversary. We thought the helipad would be too hot for sale in July in Florida, but the breeze helped greatly and it was a great view as we saw dolphins and turtles along the way. We had the deluxe drink package, which was nice to be able to not worry about the drink prices, and we were able to try out a lot of different drinks, including a Love Flow with Kraken Rum and Coco Locos at Coco Key. We also splurged on the limited dining package, which was a great value with a sale of $76. We ended up getting two lunches and three dinners out of it. We tried Jamie's Italian for both a lunch and a dinner and loved the freshness of the food and the eggplant parmesan. We had dinner at Chops and it was always great as, as usual. We love the filet there. We were able to eat a Izumi hibachi with our package. They even let us get the deluxe combo entry. I was amazed how it outdid our local hibachi restaurant in quality for the food and presentation. And we did not feel rushed like a regular restaurant. We tried Playmakers at lunch, and the chicken wings were surprisingly really good. The nachos and potato skins were just okay because of the cheese sauce they used, but the prices were reasonable. Just make sure they know you have the dining package if you go. We found the Windjamer and room service just to be okay for breakfast. Coco Key was amazing. The transformation of the island blew me away. We spent half our time in or near the Oasis Lagoon pool and the other half at the beach. The food was a nice upgrade, especially the Snack Shack OMG. The crispy chicken sandwich was as good as advertised. I tried out the sky pad, which was fun, and the escape room, which was too challenging, but still a good time. The ice show was really good, but the remaining headliner entertainment did not impress us. The live music around the ship was pretty good. We had a really good service and had a wonderful time. It was a great short cruise option for someone that lives in Florida. I came across the blog and podcast about a year ago, and I recently finished listening to all past episodes. Now I have faced the sad reality of having to wait a week between new podcast episodes. I have a couple of questions based on listening to past podcasts. In episode 274 is Zumi's specialty restaurant. You mentioned that you would be doing a future podcast about the other specialty dining options on Royal Caribbean ships, but I haven't gotten back around to that topic yet. Can we expect some other episodes about the other specialty restaurants in the future? Because who doesn't want to talk about food? Isn't that about half of what is covered anyway? Jason, you are absolutely right. I have to do that. I think we should definitely uh, focus on some of the other restaurants. I think maybe Chops Girl should be next. That's a really good choice, I think, for doing a in-depth restaurant overview, review wishful thinking about food. I think that's a great idea, Jason. So I, you are, I am guilty as charged. You were accurate that we should be doing that. So I'm going to put that in my notes here. And Jason also wrote in episode 301, which was chat with Matt, was an interview of you by John Bamber. He did a really nice job, but I was curious about how you ended up doing podcasting. I know you were involved in a Disney podcast prior to Royal Caribbean blog. I'm curious about how the podcast came to be in your transition 
the from one to the other, or are you still a Disney nerd who or has taken a backseat to Royal Caribbean cruising? You know, I have. I used to really love going to Disney World. It soured me uh, the whole thing. There, the prices in Disney have gone nuts. I, and not only that, the policies are clearly clearly aimed at trying to get rid of repeat visitors, annual pass holders. They just they don't care. They want people who are going to come for once in a lifetime, spend a bazillion dollars, and it's just not the same experience that it used to be. Not only when I was a kid, but even ten years ago, they've clearly Disney used to put the guest experience ahead of of making money because they were Disney. And now I feel like that that's the opposite. Now making a dollar is more important than the guest experience. And that just that then, to, in my opinion, that takes Disney down to well every other vacation option that's out there. Because I mean, let's let's be honest there. I mean, that's kind of where the that's what used to separate Disney from everything else. That was the quote unquote Disney difference, if you will, that a lot of people used to talk about, and I did as well. But now that they've clearly moved to oh my gosh, we got to make a dollar at any cost, and guest experience, meh. Secondary now to that, um, I, I just feel that that's changed, and I'm not willing to pay exorbitant prices for, to Disney for not a for no difference at all, in, in my opinion. So that's what it's been. But the idea, to, the reason to do a podcast, how I end up doing a podcast. I mean, podcasting has always been a great medium for me. I, as you might be able to tell, I like talking, and it's uh, it has worked well. I can certainly ramble on as well as anybody, and I think that podcasting is really fun and intriguing medium to do because, you know, writing blog posts, um, you know, they get very helpful, but writing it takes, I mean, it takes a lot of effort because you have to, you know, craft the article, you have to come up with, you know, structure and it, there's a lot more things there. Podcasting, I mean, I can record podcasts for hours and hours. Sometimes it seems like they're on this podcast, they go on for hours and hours, but in, in all seriousness, I mean, it is a medium I'm most comfortable with. It's really easy to do. And I think the, as a classic example, earlier in this episode, the topic about hurricanes, it I think it's conveyed 10 times better orally than if I were to write a blog post about it. So podcasting was something that I really enjoy, have always enjoyed doing. I actually didn't do a Royal Cream blog podcast for a number of years, even though the blog was a thing, because I had a sense of loyalty to a couple different cruising podcasts that no longer exist. And I felt like by me doing a podcast, it would have taken away from them. I've since learned that it wouldn't. Have, it, we would just augmented each other. It's just it's different structure, different folks, and you know it's not to say that just because someone else does a podcast or I can't do a podcast or you know nowadays you know there's the Cruise Habit podcast, Cruise Sips TV has their own podcast, Disney Cruise Line Blog has their podcast. There's a ton of cruising podcasts. Doug Parker from Cruise Radio, right? We all do different podcasts. We're not all doing the same thing, and I think anybody who listens to multiple podcasts is probably thinking, yeah, of course they're all different, different takes on it, right? I have my take on it, my approach to podcasting, which is gonna be different than than Tommy or Doug or or Billy or Sherry or anybody else that's doing podcasts out there. So that that was a mistake. I wish I could if I go back in time, I would have started it earlier. But it's just um, you know, it, it just made more sense for me, Jason. And as I started to really cruise more, I started to really fall in love. I already loved it, but I mean I really was falling in love now with what cruising is all about. And quite frankly, I love the community here. I think the people here at RoyalCreamBlog.com have really endeared me to them. Uh, they, we have a great community here on the podcast. You can tell by the great emails I get each and every week where we share experiences, whether it's on our message boards at realcreamblog.com, whether it is you know one of our live broadcasts on Facebook or YouTube uh, or Periscope. You know, there, There's so many great folks who clearly love cruising 
and that alone is enough to get us to all kind of talk together. So I love that. And I've had the, the the luxury of meeting Jason in person. We did the, actually the last time we had an Orlando meetup, which we're probably overdue for one now again, was uh, you know a great opportunity to put a face to the name. And it's, it's really cool. I mean, I, I hope that if you're listening to this podcast, if there's a takeaway from this episode or this particular email from Jason is that um, Jason's 100% right about everything he said there, but also that, you know, it's a great community. And if you're not involved yet, whether you're, you haven't sent an email to me here on the podcast or you haven't joined the message boards or liked us on Facebook, you're, you're missing out on a really fun component to the experience. Heck, going on a group cruise, you know, being able to be a part of the community rather than watching it is, in my opinion, uh, you know, a critical aspect to what I think separates Royal Caribbean Blog from so many other communities out there because we have a really great group of friends here. And I, it does feel like friends. So now that I've gotten a little mushy on everybody here uh, going off on Jason's email, thank you, Jason, for the email. Thank you to everybody for sending in your emails. You can always send me your email, by the way, for the podcast by sending it to Matt, M-A-T-T, at Royal Caribbean Blog.com, Matt at Royal Caribbean Blog.com. So until next time, I'm Matt Hotchberg, and we'll talk again real soon.